think about how delicately you hold your baby, you dress your baby, and you feed your baby. We do that because they're adorable, of course, but also because their skin is delicate. Know this. There is only one diaper brand that we recommend to give you the gentle protective care your little one needs. And that's Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Their Swaddler's diaper absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin dry, healthy, and beautiful. And when you use Swaddler's in tandem with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, you'll keep your baby's skin healthy. The wipes are made from 100% plant-based cloth, and you won't have to worry about tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. That's right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Okay, so you know I love good wordplay. And Third Love is crushing their wordplay here. When you have a bra that pinches or slips or just isn't comfortable at all or is comfortable but isn't your style, you've got problems. <laughs> How excited was Third Love when they thought of problems? Well done, Third Love. I see you. When you wear Third Love bras, you've got no problems. They fix the problem of size exclusivity with their famous half cup sizes that revolutionized the industry by giving more options to find a bra that fits. And they fixed the problem of guessing what bra will fit you with their virtual fitting room and other helpful guides. A bra size chart, a bra 101 education section that's basically an FAQ for all your burning questions, and a ton of great reviews from real people. My sister just texted me, 99 problems. But pinching <laughs> isn't one. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. And it took some time, but I'm finally fine. Welcome back, back to... Sorry, I just feel a little <laughs> playful today. Oh God, help us all. <laughs> Welcome back to We Can Do Hard Things. <laughs> Thank you for coming back. We are here again. And like I used to tell my third graders, I just need everyone to really turn on their listening ears. Ooh. Open their minds and hearts. Some life-changing shit coming to you today. And and that's what I used to say to my third graders. I would have <laughs> I would have learned so much more. I am mommy. Teacher. What is life changing shit? Life changing shit, y'all. <laughs> they come home. I learned life changing shit today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So during our episode with Dr. Galit, she talked to us about how when they did a study with mothers and babies, it became clear that. 70% of the bids for attention or connection between mothers and babies were missed. That is how often we miss each other. But then there was this moment following the miss where the mother or the baby looked out to reconnect, to mend or repair the miss. And in that follow-up, to repair the miss is where connection is made. Mm. Not in the initial ask for connection, or bid for connection, or attempt for connection. But that what we do as human beings is more often than not, we miss each other 
But then there is a follow-up, which is a repair of the initial bid for connection. And that is where connection is made or lost. And we miss it. As adults, Mm -hmm. we miss the repair moment because we have shame. So if you take this baby study and you apply it to children, to adults, to companies, to institutions, to nations, what happens is, yes, we screw it up the first time in our relationships. The person comes to us and says, I feel hurt. There is the golden moment to get connection. But since we don't know the power of repair, we shut down, we dismiss, we deflect, we deny and we miss the golden moment. It's true for babies, it's true for children, it's true for adults, communities. When people tell us that we've hurt them, we don't know how to handle it, Mm. okay? We think that we're being told we're a bad person, so we have to defend our identity, and then we surrender to our own fragility and we miss the magic. We have to stop missing the magic. So we are going to speak right now to the person who is helping people stop missing the magic. Mm. You all know her as Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. She is an award-winning author of eight books, including her latest, which I loved so much, On Repentance and Repair, Making Amends in an Unapologetic World. She serves as scholar in residence at the National Council of Jewish Women, and her writing has appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, Time, and many other publications. Welcome, Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I have been reading you and following you for years, and when Uh. I need to know what the smartest perspective is on any given issue, I often go to you first. I think you're one of the reasons why I'm still on social media. So thanks for all that you do. God, I'm so honored. I've been reading you forever too. So it's about time we talk to each other. Can you tell us, um, Rabbi Danya, why this issue of figuring, and first of all, I want you to describe the issue for us about repair and repentance, but how it came about, um, why you decided it was so important to put this into the discourse of how we can repair breaches from each other better. So five years ago, um, just about exactly, Me Too broke uh, in a big, big way in our culture. Of course, um, Toronto Burke had, had created the hashtag much earlier, but that was the watershed moment Mm -hmm. for our culture. And all of these dudes were named as sexual abusers Mm -hmm. and pretty much to the last, they all offered up these weak sauce statements. Mm -hmm. I I did it, but it's really going to be a problem for my fans. And, (laughs) you know, oh no, the impact on my family and Oh, God, you know, wine and almost to the last did not mention the people that they harmed. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there was this sort of like, OK, we're just going to shove them in the corner. And then it's like, now what? Mm-hmm. What do we do with them? Mm-hmm. And as it happened, a friend of mine, um, Jericho Vincent, was writing on this and, and came to me and said, OK, so now what? And I wrote up a couple paragraphs uh, using Maimonides, who in Judaism is like the guy on mending harm, owning your stuff. I, the word is 
it's translated as repentance, but maybe I should start like a little bit back. In Judaism, when we talk about what's translated as repentance, it's not, now you feel bad. It's mm-hmm. a series of actions. The word is tshuva, which means return. It's about coming back to the person you were supposed to be all along. Mm -hmm. It's about coming back to your integrity. It's about coming back to the best version of you. Mm -hmm. It's about coming back to the path that you wanted to be on before you started screwing up and harming because out of ignorance, out of pettiness, out of laziness, out of sloppiness, out of all the reasons we hurt people and there's selfishness and and Mm -hmm. greed and all of that. Right. But even the the little reasons that we hurt people Mm -hmm. Um, and out of our brokenness, out of our trauma, right? And so you have to come back and there's work to do to come back and come back to relationship with God, if that's language that resonates with you. And- How would you say it for people who don't use religious language? You come back to to your integrity, to Mm -hmm. yourself, to your values, to Mm -hmm. who you wanted to be, right? right? Mm -hmm. You don't, do you want to be a harm doer? Probably not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But in order to do that, there's work to do. Mm -hmm. And so the the guy in my tradition in Judaism is Maimonides, Moses Moses Maimonides, um, 12th century philosopher, Torah scholar, all around genius who took a bunch of earlier thinking and sort of rearranged it in a different order and kind of came up with what we call the laws of repentance. Repentance is this tshuva, this coming back. So I wrote up uh, a couple of paragraphs based on what I think, you know, Maimonides sort of order of repentance. And we'll get into what the steps are. Mm -hmm. Like if you're a famous dude whose impact is not just on specific victims, right? These harm specific people, but you also impacted the entire culture. It's like rape rape culture, right? Millions of people Mm -hmm. are now watching to see what happens next. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And your choices will impact how we think about gender, power, safety, what women are for, all of these things. Mm-hmm. So I sent my friends some paragraphs for, for the piece they were writing. Then I threw those paragraphs on Twitter <laughs> and this thread started like, I want to talk about forgiveness and atonement and repentance and, and like the difference between these things. Right. And people went bonkers. Mm-hmm, I remember. Because our, our culture doesn't have this language no. for this. Nobody knows. Like, it's like forgive, right? Oh forgive my God. Yeah. Nobody knows what it means. Nobody knows what it means. So you offer a starving world paths. This is why none of you know how to make up. This is why none of you, you're all just feeling guilty because you didn't forgive because somebody told you to forgive. This is why you don't know what to do when somebody tells you they're hurt. There actually are ideas on how to proceed. And one of the first most important concepts you present is that repentance and forgiveness are two separate processes for two separate parties. Repentance is the work that the one who did the harm, the herder, does, correct? Right. Okay. So give us an example and then tell us what the first step of repentance is because we're talking about me too and wider issues, but what I've heard you say is that you've never seen this path not work for in some way for individuals, for mothers and daughters, for fathers and sons, for companies, institutions. It's just, it, it, it works for everybody. 
Right. When we talk about this stuff in Judaism, it's usually been about individual relationships, Mm -hmm. right? Family Mm -hmm. systems or what happened at work or whatever. And after this Me Too conversation, I started playing with it and like, would it work for institutions? And well, what about this case study? Oh, oh, this this company that did something really right. It actually maps onto the steps. Mm -hmm. And what about nations? And I kept waiting, waiting for the system to break and it never broke. Mm. (gasps) There's something there. Yeah. And it echoes other systems that work because there's something there. Mm -hmm. So first step is confession own your stuff, Mm -hmm. which means there's some pre-work, which is what did I do? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why is this a problem? And there's a lot of heavy work in having to cross that sort of cognitive dissonance of like, we have the story of us as the hero. I'm always the good guy. Mm -hmm. I never do anything wrong. And we have to kind of cross that bridge and face the fact that like today I caused someone else pain today. I was not the good guy in someone else's story. Mm -hmm. And I have some cleanup work to do. Hmm. Um, And then you have to name without talking about what you intended and what you meant. We don't care what you meant. We don't care about your great intentions. We don't care what a great person you usually are. Mm -hmm. Just name what you did. Own it. Ideally, I mean, definitely to anybody who witnessed the harm, you say something racist in a staff meeting, those people need to see the confession. Publicly. If the harm was caused publicly, the taking ownership needs to be done publicly, correct? Because the harm was done to more people than just the person who was offended directly. Hmm. Correct. And it has to be at least as public as the harm was caused. Mm -hmm. And it is praiseworthy to to make it even more public than Mm -hmm. the harm. Mm It's not a name and shame thing. It's not about putting you in the stocks. It's about A, um, asking for accountability, saying I'm struggling. I did something that's not my best self and I need help getting back on that path of where I want to be. Number two, from the victim's perspective, this is an end to the gaslighting. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. I did this. It happened. It was real. Like... Any question you might have had about you know, whose fault was it? Did, did it really happen? You know, did I do something to why did this happen to me? Mm-hmm. You get you get your answers, right? Relief, you call it. You give relief to the person who's struggling because they are gaslighting themselves at this point, probably saying, did that really happen? Are my feelings valid? The other person, the hurter is giving relief to that person by saying, mm-hmm. yes, it was real. Yes, I did this. Right. And whether we're talking about sexual abuse, if we want to talk about larger systemic harm, we could talk about the way internalized racism plays out. There are all sorts of different ways that naming and owning that harm can really be critical for a healing process. As you're talking, I'm thinking of the word reconciliation, because usually Mm -hmm. so much of what we think about reconciliation is like two people or two groups coming together and making peace. But really, reconciling is accepting a situation or fact, even though you don't like it. So in a way, (laughs) you're confessing is you're reconciling to yourself with yourself that there is this thing that I did, this way that I'm showing up, this internalized issue in me that I am accepting as just as true as this wonderful part of me. 
and I am claiming it. And so really the first reconciliation has to be with you or else you're never going to be able to offer the truth of a confession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, deeply. And you have to be able to do that separation between, you know, we have this thing in our, our society where people think I can't possibly be, I'm not racist. So the thing I said can't possibly be racist, not a racist bone in your body, mm-hmm. as opposed to we are all human beings and we do things. Mm-hmm. We have actions and some of our actions are helpful and some of them are harmful and we can clean up our, our messes and that it's not an indictment of your whole self. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, Lennon, when you're talking about the, sh- the shame, I mean, it's that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I want to ask a question about what makes a good, whatever the opposite of gaslighting is, owning harm, naming and owning harm. Because I, I, what I notice a lot, and I think whether it's just the PR agents that are getting a little bit better or actual human beings, I don't know. <laughs> I think there's a couple PR reg- agents who have read your book because some are getting a little bit better. But in terms of people are always saying, I did something that was out of character for me. Like that's the main message. And I always think, but don't we do what is in our character? Isn't the issue not, I did something out of line with my character, but my character wasn't good enough. <laughs> and I'm gonna, and, and what I did revealed my character exactly. And so what I'm going to do is make my character better. Exactly. Exactly. One of my favorite confessions is Dan Harmon, yes. who was the showrunner for Community. Mm-hmm. And he sexually harassed one of the writers on uh, on his set, Megan Gans. And, uh, you know, there was all of the gaslighting. And she, when she sort of rebuffed him, he then treated her badly. And when he finally owned it on his podcast, he said, and this is somebody who, who very clearly identified as a feminist. And he said, "I there's no way... I could call myself a feminist and do these things. I clearly did not respect women the Mm -hmm. way I told myself that I did. Mm -hmm. And I lied to myself about what was going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, 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 and for, and for Megan Gantz, it was so validating Mm -hmm. to just have it named and just all of the questions erased. But for him to say the story I've been telling myself about who I am clearly isn't true if these are the choices that I make. And so that's why you get to step two, which is then you have to start to change. Right. And then you have to work to do. We love to put the post on Instagram, right? I'm very sorry. I did a thing. Yes, I shouldn't have said it. But very few people will then uh, back it up with with change. And I want to emphasize it's that idea that we all are like mugs of liquid of coffee and, or tea. And when we get bumped, something spills out, something spills out. And so what happens with our behavior is what's inside of us has spilled out, Mm -hmm. not an accidental liquid that was from somewhere else, (laughs) like actually what is inside of us. And so, so what we say then, or what we hope to be true is I'm going to change what's inside of me. Mm. So that the next time I'm bumped, something else spills out, Uh, right? Yes. Pod Squad, some of what we share with you on the show are our individual unique experiences in therapy and the takeaways that help us grow, appreciate each other, and navigate this beautiful life we're doing together. Thank you for doing it with us. 
But the things we talk about in therapy itself, these are things we wouldn't necessarily share with just anyone. I think there are a few things more important than finding the right person to share your deepest thoughts, feelings, and questions with, like a therapist. That's why we are thrilled about Alma's support of our show. They're big believers that you need the right someone to talk to, not just anyone. Alma helps you to find a therapist who gets you based on your needs, someone with whom you'll feel comfortable, heard, secure. Plus, and this shouldn't be overlooked, over 96% of therapists at Alma accept insurance because you want to pick someone based on the right fit, not just based on finances. You can browse their directory now. You don't even need to create an account. Visit helloalma.com slash hard things to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash hard things. So let's talk about what is next. Starting to change. That feels hard. So let's just use the example that you just used. Dan Harmon, his apology or his owning was, it felt like a relief to me Mm -hmm. when I read it. It felt like some man had stopped gaslighting and admitted what they all know. It felt like an act of mercy. Mm -hmm. So what might someone do? And let's give an example too of, of when this is personal, like a relational family situation. We've made the owning. That would be like a mother coming and saying, I know that I did this. Like, how do you see it happening in families with the first step? So uh, the first step, you always have to sort of name it, own it, right? I have been on my phone and not giving you my full attention and it's a chronic problem. Mm-hmm. And I get that. Can you do a different one? Cause that one hurts my feelings. Uh, so. <laughs> that one rings too true. Yeah. I, that's Everybody. out of my character. I mean, you know, 98% of America is officially yeah. busted. She hasn't um, reconciled that right, yet right, to right, herself. Right, right. I am taking out my, my anger about, um, my bad day, uh, at home mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. dealing with the hard stuff at work. So you have to own it and you have to name it and you have to name it clearly, right? The the fact that you were playing a little bit loudly really wasn't a problem. Mm-hmm. You were okay, right? Mm-hmm. And to really the reaffirming and the validating and right, right, right and that's the confessing. Mm-hmm. It's me. I'm the problem. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you, Hi, Tanya, for that. T Swift. Okay, yes, it's me. I'm yes. the problem. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and um and then you have to, and then, and then what, like, what are you going to do so that you don't keep doing the thing? Because mm-hmm. you're not going back to anywhere. You're not becoming your better self. Mm-hmm. No transformation. If you keep doing it, if you keep harming. So, um, you have to do change and it depends on the person, right? What is at the root of this thing? Do you need therapy? Mm-hmm. Do you need to call your sponsor? or get into some sort of rehab situation? Do you need to separate from a group of friends because you always behave horrendously when you're with them, but you're kind of okay otherwise, but you need to to rearrange some of your social priorities. Mm -hmm. Do you need to do some deep education on anti-racism or trans liberation? Are there places of ignorance that you need to be working on? What is the thing that needs to happen so that you can start to become different and not do the thing anymore? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
What's interesting, Pod Squad, is is so far, none of this has to do with the person. The person who has been hurt doesn't have to do shit in this process, oh, yeah. correct? Model. This is completely- But we haven't even engaged them. We have not even engaged them. Okay. Um, right. Different than change or moving on from change is restitution and accepting consequences. So yep. tell us about this because there's an example in your book, I think, of someone who owned the thing, said the thing, then said they were going to change, and then tried to get out of the sentence that they, <laughs> right? Like Barry that's Brundell, yes. That's the example that stuck with me in your book. Like, oh, well, isn't this a hard one? Because you have to say it, change it, and then accept the consequences for it. And I would argue that that even the steps one and two are really victim centric. You're ending yes. the gaslighting. Okay. Mm-hmm. You are preventing future victims. Right. And then step three, um, A, there's restitution. Right. What is owed to the person who was harmed? You can't undo what you did. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like that Japanese art of Kintsugi mm-hmm. where you... Um, bring things back together. You repair pottery with gold. So it's not unbroken and you can still see the brokenness, but there's, there's something. Do you owe the money? Do you owe, are you going to donate to an organization? Are you going to give time, resources, connections? I don't know. What do they need? How do you find out? You ask them because if you decide for them what appropriate amends are, then you're still making them an object. Mm-hmm. You're not centering their personhood and their needs. So you're like reinscribing the same harm. So you have to ask them and that has to be negotiated. What are amends? And you have to accept the consequences because mm-hmm. the cup is broken. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're not invited back to game night anymore. <laughs> Even if you're totally repentant, you do all mm-hmm. the things, great amends. You still don't get to come back to game night. You lost that job opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so the story is Barry Frendel is a rabbi who was caught recording over 150 women as they undressed for the mikvah, the ritual bath. Recording anyone as they are undressing is already a profound breach of trust, Mm -hmm. but the rabbi-congregant relationship and the sacred space of the ritual bath, and I mean, people go there, you know, when they're trying to conceive after miscarriages, it's also a very emotionally laden space. Mm. And I can't even con- convey the <laughs> rage mm-hmm. that, that I, I experience when I understand this. And so he was ultimately sentenced to significantly fewer uh, of the crimes that he committed than he should have been because of statute of limitations. So his Mm -hmm. sentencing didn't reflect the full amount of crimes that he committed. And he gave this beautiful apology, this really, because he's, he's a a rabbi, he knows his Maimonides, he knows what he's supposed to say, Mm -hmm. right? He's got all the the same books I do. He knows what to to post, but then he argued that he shouldn't be in jail for very long because he really ultimately only committed one crime Mm. because they're all bundled together, which tells us that he doesn't understand what he did. Mm-hmm. What's the eggshell plaintiff doctrine that you, sister was adding her lawyer self to the. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about this as um, we were talking about 
restitution, I was thinking about um, the way that the legal system approaches that. And there's this doctrine called the eggshell plaintiff that if you negligently cause an accident, you are responsible for the actual damages caused. So even if the person you hurt is as, is as fragile as an eggshell, you can't say, well, the average person wouldn't have been hurt this bad, or it's unreasonable that this person suffered such a great injury. You take your victim as you find them. So mm -hmm. if you, you know, bump somebody a little bit and they fall to pieces, you're responsible for those pieces, even if you don't think that's reasonable. And I think that is fascinating as it pertains to all of this, because if you do something, you can't say, you know, you were too sensitive. What I did doesn't correlate to that kind of injury. Aren't you exaggerating? You know, all of that kind of gaslighting. I just think that that legal doctrine of mm -hmm. taking your victim as you find them is fascinating as it applies to this. Yeah. 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 So next, after we've accepted consequences, no matter how sensitive or fragile the other person was, because that is not the issue here, then comes the apology, which is so interesting. All the way right. at the end. Yeah. All the way at the end. think of it. Right. Because when I mean, you think about it, like if the apology is at the beginning, you're still basically the harm doer. Exactly. Right? Nothing's changed. You're still that person. Mm -hmm. Um and so it's like checking off something, a box, and it's it's the publicist writing the thing you post on Instagram under the little notes app. Like, I don't know why that's a thing. Um, it looks so, so organic. Yes, because app. it looks raw. Yeah. And, and yeah. How is this different than the first owning harm? How is the apology different than number one? You own the harm, right? You say, I did this thing. And then you have to do the work. You say, okay, really, this is me. Today, I'm not the good guy. And then you have to do the work to change and make that coffee a different, you know, put in some sugar, get some cream, whatever it is, so that your coffee is sweeter and better. And then you have this negotiated amends. And so imagine somebody's going on a journey of anti-racism, for example. Mm -hmm. They said something out of deep ignorance and then they have to understand what they did. And as they're learning, there's that moment of like, oh, oh. Yeah. And then in the negotiated amends, they start to, as they hear what the other person needs, there's more understanding what really happened to them and the, the deeper empathy and connection. And so by the time you get to this apology, this transformation has happened, yeah. right? You, you have been transformed. You are already someone else. And that apology is flowing from a truly contrite heart. Yes. Mm. Yeah, well, you did. Yes. And you're really sorry. As opposed to the harm doer who doesn't understand at all why everybody's They're so mad. Baffled. The harm doer is baffled, right, right in the right. beginning. Because, right. because they didn't do something out of character. They did something right. in character. And then the world said, that character sucks. <laughs> and then they're like, right. wait. And so by the time we get through all the work and we get to the apology, we are of a different character. We can look back on our previous self and have sorrow mm, for the, right. the harm that that person did. I'm sorry means not, oh shit, I got caught, but I have sorrow mm -hmm. in my heart. Right. Mm -hmm. If right. we don't have sorrow in our hearts, we shouldn't be saying I'm sorry, right? Right. And it's, it's not about getting off the hook. Mm -hmm. And notably the work of repair that amends what, what do you need to do to sew up that hole in the cosmos that you caused mm. already happened, right? Do the work first. We don't want your words mm -hmm. until you've already done the fixing thing. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. somebody's sitting there on the floor with a broken foot and you're like, I'm sorry. And the person is like, I'm really would just like you to pay for my hospital bills or, you know, whatever, like do the work first. And then, and then we can have the conversation about how you feel about what you did. And become safer for the person because you're not even safe to approach the person when you're of the same character that caused the, tell us some things that make horrific apologies. It's awesome, right? Rabbi Danya, when people say they're sorry and then cry and then get very victim-y and then make sure that all (laughs) of the attention is on reassuring that person. So that's good, right? Right. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's the thing is that the apology, (laughs) it it all has to be Mm victim-centric. And what I love about the language that Maimonides uses in this section of the laws of repentance is that Maimonides says you have to appease the victim. So it's not, you have to do a certain thing. And it's like, what is going to appease? What is going to, uh, there's some other languages and there are some other words in Hebrew as well, but you know, to to care for, to appease, to take care of Mm -hmm. the victim, like it's going to be different for different people and it will be different depending on what happened. It's not, Maimonides says you have to say these three magic words and then you're off the hook. It is, what does the person who was hurt need in order to feel better? Mm-hmm. What are their spiritual needs? What are their emotional needs? Mm-hmm. So that's, again, it's about having to engage them as full people. Yeah. What about, there are many, many examples of times when the perpetrator who's doing the repentance work needs to not directly have contact with the person who is victimized because that would be bad and more yes. hurtful no matter how much work the person's doing. And that yep. victim person never wants to hear from this person again and will do their own healing work on their own. And that is there and that is real. And there are times, and again, this is victim centric. Mm-hmm. So if it's going to harm the person who was hurt to show up and say, it's a men's end apology time. So I can go back and, you know, do my chuva work. Then you're not doing it right mm-hmm. because it's not about the harm doer. So there, there are ways to do indirect amends, right? Mm-hmm. You can, instead of doing something directly for the person you harmed, you uh, volunteer your time and energy at an organization that would make sense, or you fight to get certain laws passed, or you spend the rest of your life trying trying to transform our culture Mm -hmm. into a better, safer place. Um, If you committed sexual assault, you should not work with victims of assault, right? Mm -hmm. But there are things you can do. And you just have to live with the consequence of not getting let off the hook by the victim. That might be really uncomfortable for you. And that is your consequence for the rest of your life that you don't get to possibly have that moment with your victim where your victim says, I forgive you. Well, and that's the thing, as we said at the beginning, like forgiveness and repentance are different tracks. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So the person doing the repentance work can do all of their work and do everything and not be forgiven. Mm-hmm. And it's still okay. Maimonides says, if you're not, if you go and you apologize and the person says, piss off, I'm not interested in this. Then you come back with an accountability team. You bring three people and they're there to watch you and see what your language is and what are you saying and how are they responding? And then maybe you debrief afterwards, like, what am I missing? You know, why is this not landing? And you do that a few more times. You go back and forth. And Maimonides says, after you've apologized 
ultimately four times, once on your own and then three times with different people who are trying to help you make this connection. If it's not landing, you have done everything you can and you are free to, and then this is where it gets Jewish, like you're free to ask God for forgiveness on Yom Kippur mm. and the Day of Atonement and, and you're, you're fine. Mm. There's no place in Judaism for the sentence, you have to forgive me because... I can't finish my repentance work otherwise. It doesn't exist. <sighs> Single-handedly impacting our environment for the better, that's a daunting task. But it's possible, and there are incredible people who are living proof that setting your mind to something and really being passionate about it will bring about change. The Goldman Environmental Prize is the world's foremost award honoring grassroots environmental activists. Each year, the prize honors six ordinary people who are making an extraordinary impact for the planet. If you look at this year's winners, you'll learn about Marcel Gomez, who exposed the links between a company's meatpacking practices and illegal deforestation, which led to a major boycott of that company's products. Amazing. You'll learn about Andrea Vidalre, whose relentless leadership resulted in California adopting its most ambitious emissions reduction regulations in history. And there are more amazing stories to discover. I can't imagine stories more important than these. Find the stories of this year's prize winners at goldmanprize.org. I'm just obsessed with how we as a culture, even our expectations and the onus and the agency is on the person who had the harm done to them. If there is an injury, we don't look at the person who did the harm and say, have they atoned? Have they repented? Have they changed? We say, oh, um, did they make up? Are they forgiven? Are they good now? As if the victim of the situation is the one who's holding the ball the entire time. Yes. And for me, that's that's so frustrating because like culturally we could shift that and be like the victim is in charge of taking care of themselves and has zero other obligations. And I'm right. looking at you and seeing what you're doing. If you do harm, you get to be the passive one. And yes. just looking over and saying, I'm ready to receive my forgiveness anytime. I did my thing. And so for me, I feel like forgiveness is between you and you. There is no two people in forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So when you forgive, it's not letting the other person free. When I have forgiven, it's not to let the other person free. It is to let myself free. And it's not like accepting what they did. It's accepting that it happened. So like the famous Oprah show thing of like forgiveness is giving up the hope it would have been different. Not that it was okay, but that it happened. And I just think this, this thought of forgiveness as like an exchange of value or a gift between two people is horseshit because if you do it so that you are not a prisoner to the thing that happened to you. Mm -hmm. And I think the reverse is true that if you are the harm doer, Forgiveness is still between you and you. You don't go to the injured party looking for gifts because A, right. that's wildly inappropriate and B, it's not even useful because it doesn't actually express anything real. It's just if you are holding yourself prisoner because you did harm, 
That's your business. And an apology might be part of what you try to do, but it can't be what frees you. Like you need to free yourself through your own work. Yeah. I experienced that. A direct example in my past marriage, rampant infidelity was revealed. And immediately in my church, I was a project. Like the it, Craig, it was, and it's okay. Craig's used to like the, me talking about this. It's part of his repentance. Work. I'm just joking. No, it's not. I know, no, no. My, <laughs> my, my reaction was 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 just that visceral horror at you know totally getting it. Like the, yes. I was a project factor. Like yeah. it was like ugh. he was in, unfaithful, and then I was the project. Like I right. had to go to, to to Christian therapy. I had to go to the circles. I had to read the books because it, my job was to forgive. Has she forgiven him yet? But mm. there was no. Let's put Craig in the groups, and there was this compulsory forgiveness. And I love how you talk about, just talk to us about compulsively because it, it serves somebody mm-hmm. and it's always the people in power. <laughs> Compulsory forgiveness pretty much always reinscribes existing power structures. Harm isn't always between someone with more power and someone with less power, mm-hmm. right? It's not the only way that harm happens, but almost always to the last when one person is pushing or a bunch of people are pushing one party to do the forgiving, it is in order to maintain the status quo Mm -hmm. so that nothing will change, so that systems won't change, so that uh, social dynamics won't change, so that we can just keep exactly everything as it is. Our pastor doesn't have to resign. Mm -hmm. We don't need to ask any larger questions about the police force that enabled this Mm -hmm. uh, black motorist to be shot. Mm -hmm. We just push forgiveness and then everything can just stay exactly as it is. Isn't unity often a euphemism for forgiveness? Like we just all need to be unified on this. I actually think that our country's obsession with forgiveness came at the end of the Civil War. Right. When white Northerners started preaching, listen, guys, we need to forgive the South and we all need to be unified and we aren't we all brothers and na, 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 right? Even abolitionists Mm -hmm. who were maybe against slavery, but not against white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And they threw black Americans under the bus, Mm -hmm. said, don't worry about that violence you're hearing about. It's fine. Right. It doesn't the lynchings. It's it's okay. We're still friends. We're all unity. Forgiveness is the number one thing. And we started hearing forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. And it was a way to reinscribe white supremacy at a moment when it was at risk. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Unity. Right. And then it's the same thing that happened right after January 6th. Mm -hmm. And it is always at the expense of someone. Mm -hmm. And you always have to look around and do the power analysis. When you hear the words unity, words forgiveness, Mm -hmm. right? When they're getting pushed, sort of see whose interests aren't being served and why. Unity at the expense of justice. You ask whose justice and forgiveness. Okay. Forgiveness without demanding what repentance, Mm -hmm. because as you point out, Rabbi Danya, this unity is always demanded. Nobody's even said they're sorry. Nope. We haven't even required that. Yeah. No. Oh, no. <laughs> That's Nobody's right. sorry. And, you know, after the Civil War, you had all these people saying, we, we're all going to be friends. And then you had both black and white other people who were like, uh, can we talk about repentance? 
Yeah. You know, Frederick, Frederick Douglass saying like, listen, if Southerners want to do repentance work for, I don't know, enslaving human beings, mm-hmm. and they want to talk about how genuinely sorry they are that they did this and then went to war to defend their right to do it. Sure, we can have a conversation, but this mm-hmm. thing where they're not sorry at all and we're just going to pretend nothing happened. Not only are we going to pretend nothing happened, but we are, in fact, going to give reparations. But it's going to be for the people who enslaved people who have lost their <laughs> property, not right. for not reparations for people who lost their lives and their ancestors' lives. But we're going to reimburse you for that because that is an offense that needs atonement. And to bring it down to like the personal level also, this is what you see in families when the child comes and says, I was mistreated. And then the mother says, we just have to forgive. It's just the way it is. That is the same dynamic of like, we will keep power and we will keep status quo exactly as it is without changing Mm-hmm. And by the way, in my previous marriage, there was no power differential. Like we were equal in the hurt, but that process still protects power because by saying Glennon is the one, the victim is the one who has to do the work. Power is protecting itself because then all of the people above us, the pastors, the men in powerful positions don't ever have to be the ones doing the repentance. So even if the two people in the conflict have equal power, power is still protecting itself. I think this whole conversation around power and the dynamics between perpetrator and victim, I guess my question is, is forgiveness even possible? Because Mm -hmm. I don't believe in it. To me, there's a big question in that it is to create status quo. It is like, oh, but we all must forgive. That's just the way of the world. Religions have these, you know, tenets that are based in it, but it's to keep those institutions central. I don't know if real forget, I I just don't know. And I'm curious from, from your perspective. What does it mean? Is it real? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about forgiveness. So in Judaism, there are two different words that get translated as forgiveness um, because nothing is uncomplicated. Um, (laughs) There's michila and slicha. So michila is like a closing of accounts. Like you stole from me, fine. You acknowledge that you did and you figured out why you made that choice and are, or like you're working on it. You're in therapy. You paid me back. You apologized really nicely. We're done. And remember, none of this includes reconciliation, right? That's right. a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. Very important. Maybe, maybe we're friends again. Maybe we're not. But whatever. This story is over. Mm. We're good. Closing the books. And then there's slicha, which is like the more emotional, empathetic, like I see you and it's warm and fuzzy. And that, like, that's the one that usually American culture mm-hmm. is all about. Like the, uh, you know, I forgive you kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Jewish literature generally talks about mechila. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're just, just closing the book. It's, it's over. We're just the case closed. And mm-hmm. so it's a much lower bar. Mm-hmm. And so if we're saying repentance and forgiveness are different tracks. So A, we have the penitent person has gone and done all their work. They've trotted off and are changed and transformed. Yay. Okay, good. And then the person who was harmed now has to figure out where they are. And if somebody is coming to them and they're genuinely sorry and they're genuinely like doing the work, Jewish literature says, A, 
don't be super petty. Mm -hmm. If it's something that's not a major, major deal, like don't be petty. Don't lord your wounds over them, right? Check yourself Mm -hmm. to see if your refusal to close the books on this situation is, you know, if there's something in you that you Mm -hmm. need to check on. Mm -hmm. Because it may be spiritually bad for you that you're hanging on to this. So you shouldn't do that. And that's bad. And I have a whole extended disagreement, very nerdy disagreement with Maimonides about some of the language and choices he made in this section. We don't need to go there. Um, I love you. <laughs> Just see you arguing with I have a nerdy disagreement man. with a 13th century Jewish scholar. <laughs> I used to refer to him as my dead medieval boyfriend. Um, oh, of course you do. I don't anymore, but, <laughs> you know. Well, I love um, those two differentiations. We need that. Yeah. We you know. need that. Because in your book, you said sometimes, somebody else said this, but it was a quote, sometimes forgiveness is wishing that rotten SOB peace and getting along with your life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can buy that. Weber. Yep. Right. And it's just like, go, zoom. And mm. whenever I talk about this, I always make sure to make sure this is clear. There's the Jerusalem Talmud is an authoritative source says that if somebody slanders you, you, they never, ever have to forgive them. Mm. And the reason why that's given by later commentators is very much because, you know, if somebody talks crap about you, it's like the feathers have been let loose in the wind. Like you can never collect them all. Like Mm. you can never get back everybody. Mm. You know, the story is already Mm -hmm. out there and there's no way to totally take it back. That is harm that can never be fully repaired. Wow. So my read is that if you are harmed in a way that can never be fully repaired, you are never obligated to forgive. That's how I feel. Right? You're never obligated to forgive your abuser. Mm-hmm. Ever. With trauma, never. You might, right, in your healing process, Mm -hmm. as you do your work of healing. And I think my personal take is that victims of harm, and we're all perpetrators, victims and bystanders, Mm -hmm. all of us, all the time. But when we are victims, like our our job is to do the healing work Mm -hmm. and to do everything we can to to take care of ourselves. And if organically in that some place at some time, we find that we have closed the books. Okay. Mm-hmm. And wow. we can tell the perpetrator or not. It's so good because it's often, it often feels like, can you forgive me? Feels shorthand for, can we pretend that that never happened? Mm-hmm. Can we go back to way that never happened? And that feels like the opposite of forgiveness for the person, which is accepting that it can never be different. Like right. you have to accept it can never be different, but the perpetrator gets to pretend like it never happened. <laughs> It's like, it can't be both ways. Right. Pod Squad, we know about you. You, like us, pamper your pups with clothes, fluffy beds, toys all the days, any little thing their goodest hearts desires. Why then would we settle for burnt, smelly pellets in their dog dishes. Maybe you don't. Maybe you go with the farmer's dog like I do for Seamus and you reap the benefits of giving your dog real, fresh, healthy food. It looks like real food because it is real food. It's made with human-grade kitchens with the same gentle cooking you'd use if you're preparing meals for your family. 
It's even fun signing up. You answer questions about your dog, like what health issues they might have, how old they are, what breed and personality they have, and more. You're not only getting fresh pre-portioned food, you're getting fresh pre-portioned food for your specific dog. And your dog may just have a newfound respect for their human too. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at www.thefarmersdog.com slash hard things. Food made in human-grade kitchens with the same gentle cooking you'd use if you were preparing meals for your family. Maybe more. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at www.thefarmersdog.com slash hard things. I want to um, ask you a heavy, serious question, but I know that you are the one to ask. So uh, you thought, and the writing in the book is so beautiful and specific about really how you see this repentance, pro- not even really repentance, forgiveness, but repentance, forgiveness process, how it might be implemented in different conflicts, interpersonal and institutional and international. So how do you see this being implemented in the Israeli-Palestine conflict? Oh, it's so hard. Um, Obviously, Israel is the party with more power, right? Mm -hmm. And human rights abuses are being committed in an ongoing way. I'm very comfortable naming that. I'm against the occupation. I've been vocally against the occupation. And the fact of the matter is that there are competing understandings of what is true. Mm. That is a reality. I've made uh, it a project to go learn and learn and learn and learn and learn and shut up and learn. And there are a lot of things that are true simultaneously, even if it's not convenient that they're all true at the same time. And, you know, the first step of this work is always confession, truth telling. Mm. I look at the South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission in the book as one kind of model. And I really believe that with Israel-Palestine, what we need to do is make space for all of the truth to be told in one place Mm. and that everybody hears all of the things and it's a massive project, right? And I don't know if we start with everything that happened in 1948. I have ideas about which specific people or organizations we would bring in, you know, but you get all of the things told in one place. And then what does starting to change look like? I feel, I really believe deep in my bones that if we can get the truth telling done right, like a real truth telling, that the next step will present itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What that's starting to change will look like mm-hmm. will find itself in the middle of that process. Mm-hmm. And if you get the right people working together to formulate what that could be, it can and will happen. Yeah. Yeah. You're making me think of one of the important keys is complete surrender and presence in each step without thinking Mm -hmm. forward to what the next thing is going to be, because you're going to become a different person and more will be revealed in each step, which will then make the next step clear. So this is very next right thing-ish. And when you're saying all of that, it rings so true because as you were speaking, I was thinking about a family and like how impossible it is Mm. to 
you're saying this and I'm saying this in this part of my life. And, but the way you are is you're that way because of the generation before you. And it's like the only way a family could heal is if we could have one room with the ghosts of our ancestors and our great grandmothers saying, oh, she's like that because I healed from this. And then she healed from that. And then you healed. And it would be like, the only way a family could truly heal is if if generations were in the same room because all the things are true at once. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm. Right. I had a friend sit in my house last week, a dear friend, and she is a freedom fighter for all oppressed groups. And she is Jewish. And this is right after the latest Kanye fiasco. And she sat on my couch, fire in her sadness in her. And she said, it just feels to me like anti-Semitism is the last permissible hate. Mm. Talk to us about where we are in this country with anti-Semitism and why that rings so true. So, uh, I have to kind of go back a thousand years in a sentence or two. If Um, anybody can do it, it's you. (laughs) (laughs) Da, 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 da. So in beginning in the medieval Christian era, Christians didn't want to do money lending. Jews are like, it's not not against our religion. We don't care. And y'all won't let us own land, are taxing us ridiculously and keep kicking us out of different countries. So having liquid resources is great. And so we get this association with Jews and money. And then little by little, this game of Blame the Jews, not us, starts up. So anytime someone is in power and things aren't going very well, they start to say, it's the Jews. It's not us. Those greedy Jews. It's not us. Remember, we are mostly poor. (laughs) We are mostly like refugees from country to country because they keep kicking us out. But they still play this game. And so you get to like 1902, the czar, Nicholas, writes, his people write the protocols of the elders of Zion, writes secret cabal of the Jews because things were going badly for him. 1905 revolution was getting going. Blame the Jews, not us. Mm. Uh, It's always the people in power, but the Jews are the scapegoat. And so we have this like this ongoing story of the people in the shadows who are secretly behind the scenes, Mm. pulling the strings. You can't see them, but they're there. And they're really behind everything. And then we have Jews come to America and we are (laughs) like, this is the best we've ever had it, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, Anytime in history, things are kind of going, okay, the white Jews managed to assimilate into whiteness in a lot of different ways. It's conditional whiteness, but it's partly there. And the same like shadowy Jews behind the scene trope continues. That's why it's so hard to see because it's slippery and it's, you know, you talk about the deep state mm. and you talk about like, oh, Soros, you know, mm. Rothschilds, like it's an ancient trope. It's these little things. You just show the names of a few politicians, you know, you just raise up and um, and it comes up again and again. And these, you know, QAnon is now bringing up blood libel trips. Mm. It's the same stuff over and over again, but because by design, it's the folks behind the scenes and it's hints and it's whispers. Mm-hmm. We are somehow secretly pulling the strings, even though 
white Protestants have been basically mm-hmm. running the country and Christo fascism mm-hmm. is coming for all of us. Of course. You know, it's like, I'm sorry. But somehow magically Jews are supposed to be behind all of this. But you don't say Jews. And so it's in code. Mm-hmm. You talk about the globalists and you talk about the, you know, those cosmopolitan people and the rich people and the people on the, on the coasts, the elites. Mm-hmm. And so it's in code, but we all kind of know and it's half conscious and it's half not. And that's why, because it's slippery. The other thing is that the way that anti-Semitism operates that is different from other oppressions is that unlike other oppressions, anti-Semitism even works better when Jews are doing okay. Mm-hmm. When Jews are, are, are actually doing okay in society, like it continues to function and even thrives mm-hmm. off of that. Whereas many oppressions are about keeping a population, you know, below, under, beneath. And so that is also part of the slipperiness of it. Mm-hmm. It looks like everything's fine. Mm-hmm. It looks right. like we're doing fine. Like the Jews are, do- are the Jews fine. What's, what's a, why are they complaining? And it's like, well, cause people keep like gunning down our synagogues, kidnapping our rabbis. If people would stop doing that, then right. that would be great. <sighs> Thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. So we're going to close now. We call this, we can do hard things. I just really have come to believe over in my life, whether it's in personal situations, whether things I do online, that this process of really surrendering to a repentance path, it's like getting on one of those when you're in the airport and you get in on, on one of those little like escalators that are just flat, but it moves you faster than everybody <laughs> people, else. People move like over, yeah. in terms of spiritual evolution, in terms of personal development, actually surrendering to a repentance process feels so uncomfortable. And it is a speed track That's to right. being a better person. And yes. we are all missing it. It's like if we had this one workout, since we're all, since America is so physically obsessed, it's like we, there was this one workout that was like, the magical thing that would make you live longer. And then just none of us did it because it was hard. Yeah. Like this is the equivalent of that. This is a spiritual, spiritual, yeah, work. spiritual totally. workout. It's a thing that you don't want to do at first. And then it hurts and it's sweaty and icky. And then it changes you. And then it changes everyone around you. And you can actually see the magic happen in your relationships when you stop refusing it. And I think that you're work because of that is so, and and also for a million reasons. I mean, you guys have to read the rest of Rabbi Dodney's work. This is just her latest. So important, world-changing, life-changing. Thank you for being who you are in the world. Um, and all of you, we can do hard things, pod squad, follow Rabbi Danya, check her out and end the book. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Thanks for doing hard things. Thank you so much. Okay. See you next week, pod squad. Bye. I give you Tish Melton and Brandy Carlisle. I walked through fire, I came out the other side. I chased desire, I made sure I got what's mine. And I continued to I'm mine, I walk the line
is produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Especially be sure to rate and review the podcast if you really liked it. If you didn't, don't worry about it. It's fine.